so much to Matt and the worship team. And a very good morning to everybody in the house this morning. Are we good? <laughs> there we go. So where we are coming from, just for those of you who maybe haven't come the last uh, one or two weeks, is we're going through the book of uh, Ruth, and there's a person called Naomi. And Mark preached on Naomi last week. And what we saw is that Naomi was actually left in not such a great space. She is left not having much family left. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. And so she's really sad, but she's still a believer. She still follows Yahweh, but she is open about the fact that she is bitter towards God, towards life, because she says, God has dealt bitterly with me. And so she's got a few big problems, her and Ruth, who has decided to come back with her. Three main problems that the rest of the book of Ruth are going to aim to solve. The first one is food, and then there's family and faith. Food, they need food. They need to eat. And as two single widowed ladies in that day and age, it is not looking so great for them to go out and work for themselves. Food is an issue that needs to be solved. Next is family. When it comes to security and their standing in the society, they need family. And so they're going to look and see how that works together. And finally, it's faith. And you can look at these two and you can say they are believers in Yahweh. You've got Naomi on the one hand. Her faith is there, but it is battered. It is bruised. It is not looking so great. She feels bitter towards God. And then you have Ruth. And this is a very interesting part of the book of Ruth. Because remember, just before this, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, she looks at Naomi and she says, Your God shall be my God. Big change in her life. She says, I am no longer going to worship the gods of Moab. I am not going to follow them. I'm going to follow Yahweh. And I want to see if there's any sort of difference. And you're going to see from today that her prayers are answered in a phenomenal way. And I'm going to ask Anne to come up and read Ruth chapter 2, verse 1 to 23 to us. And then we are going to continue. Thank you so much, Anne. Good morning, Ruth chapter 2 from verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter, so she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is a Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. 
At this, she bowed down, her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, and to whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even as she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. <clears throat> Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it mounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen, redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabites said, he even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with these girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thank you so much, Anne. So, we dive into Ruth chapter 2, and lo and behold, we see that some things seem to have changed a bit. First of all, Naomi, when she was in the land of Moab, said to Ruth and Orpah, her two daughters-in-law, what did she say? Guys, I don't have any more sons. There's nobody for you to marry. You should maybe head back to your land. And the first point for today is the providence of God. God provides. And what has God provided? Naomi has got a relative. And he's a worthy man. He's an absolute keeper. His name is Boaz. And what she either forgets or fails to bring to the surface is, guys, by the way, there is a tradition back home and there is a law where there would be a kinsman redeemer. And he will essentially become your husband and he will take you under his wings. And Matt's going to unpack that beautifully for us next week. But there is a kinsman redeemer called Boaz who could change this whole situation. And so from the start, you see, there is the providence of God. This is 
Ruth stepping into her new identity of a believer in Yahweh, and from the very beginning, you see that things begin to change. What starts off changing? Well, for starters, it doesn't say that the Lord shouted down from heaven with a thundering voice, Ruth, go into that field. He doesn't do that, does he? It just says, it just so happened <laughs> that she wanders into the right field. And you've got to love that. It's as though we were to say in our day and age, as chance would have it, she happens to wander into the part of the exact field belonging to Boaz. And it just so happens that Boaz is a close relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. And it just so happens that there are a bunch of other really great things about Boaz. For starters, he's a wealthy guy. He is well off. He might not have been the richest guy that there was, but he has got teams of reapers going through his field to try and reap as much of the harvest as they can. Remember why Naomi and Elimelech left? Because the house of bread had run out of bread. <laughs> there was a famine, a shortage of food. And then you go and you look at the fields of Boaz and you go, wow, the Lord has so visited the fields of Boaz that he needs teams full of people to go and get all of this harvest. So he is a wealthy guy. And then what we find out, he's wealthy, he's single against all odds. And then we find out that he also loves God. That is one of the most important things to know about Boaz in the story. He is a guy who loves God. And the way that it, the author brings us across is it doesn't go, you know, there was a day when Boaz went to the tent of meeting or to the synagogue or to the place of religious worship. And when he was there, he put on his best smile and said, God be with you. God bless you. Doesn't say that, does it? It goes to his place of work. And right there is where you see the true measure of a man. He looks at his workers and he says, the Lord be with you. And his workers being happy and satisfied with the pay and being uh, happy with working under Boaz, look at him and they go, the Lord bless you. If you want to know the true measure of a man, don't look too closely at people here at church. We can so easily put on a mask and make it seem as though everything is going great in our lives for about an hour, two hours when we come here. What this book tells us is actually, you want to know the true measure of a man? Go and speak to those who are closest to him. Go and see how he treats his workers, how he treats his, his wife, or for ladies, how she treats the husbands and children. That is where you are going to find out where they really are. Best thing about Boaz, he loves God. And so, again, it just so happens that when all of this goes down, Boaz walks back. He comes back from the town and he looks into his fields. And it just so happens that the person who catches his eye in a phenomenal way is Ruth. And do you see how he brings it across in verse 5? He says, whose young woman is this? Let me interpret for you from Hebrew culture to ours today. Check her out. <laughs> My goodness, she is gorgeous. You notice what he says? He doesn't go there and say, who is this? He didn't say that, did he? He said, whose young woman is this? Is she taken? This would be the same as in our day and age. When you see somebody and you go, wow, they, they seem rather desirable. And your eyes start to wander to that wedding ring finger. And you start going, hmm, is this person taken or not? That is what is happening in this story. And what is the very question that Ruth left her house with that morning? In whose sight shall I find favor today? 
In whose sight shall I find favor today? And the answer is what? Boaz and God. It's twofold because of the different things that are going on here. She finds favor in Boaz's side because he sees her, he loves and cares for her, and he's also applying God's laws, which is why he's not reaping right up until the very border. But remember that God is showing Ruth tremendous favor here because she has come to rest in the right fields. And so she finds favor in the sight of both God and man. My second point for this morning, point number two, is Boaz the Redeemer. Ruth has been gleaning and harvesting his fields for a few hours, and things seem to be going quite well up until this point. She's getting food not only for herself, but also for Naomi back home. And then what happens is Boaz decides to initiate. He's going to go over and say something to Ruth. How do you like this? Old Testament pickup lines. Here we go. Ruth chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Five really important things that come out of these two verses. Number one, do not go to glean in another field. Number two, cling to this land. Three, go after my reapers. Four, my workers will not harm you. And five, they will serve you. But he starts off in a rather peculiar way. Remember that Ruth is from Moab. And this wasn't just like a a normal foreigner. This was the sort of foreigner that you would frown upon, uh, try not to breathe the same air as them. That would have been the culture of this day. And so she's working in a field. Why? Because Naomi has told her, it's actually okay. If you find a rich farmer, like, just go into the field and you're allowed to glean and help yourself. This wouldn't have happened in Moab. And so she's there because Naomi has said it's okay. And all of a sudden, the Lord of the harvest starts walking towards you. And you may start having some thoughts of, is this still legal? Should I start picking up and running? But Boaz gets to her and he says, my daughter, term of endearment, not a friend, woman, why are you stealing my wheat or my barley? No, says my daughter, sets her heart at ease. It is beautiful. From there, he goes and he says, number one, do not go to glean in another field. He's not saying that to try and be controlling. He's not trying to say, you must stay here and I'm going to manipulate and control you into my land to make sure that I always speak to you here. He's saying this because he's really concerned for her safety. If you look towards the end of chapter 2, Naomi confirms this. She says, actually, it's a good idea. It's not always safe. Make sure you keep going back to this field. Remember that just because Boaz is this godly, God-fearing guy applying the law to his life doesn't mean that every other Israelite out there was. We have just come from the book of Judges where it says, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And if you have a young guy looking at Ruth, doing what he thinks is right in his own eyes, it wouldn't end well. And so he says to her, do not go to glean in another field. Number two, he says, cling to this land. Stay in this land. And what's happening here is so beautiful. Remember, he has been told everything by this foreman of his. He knows about Ruth, knows about Naomi, knows how she has stayed with Naomi. And in chapter one, it says, Uh, although Orpah left, Ruth clung to Naomi. Important word. Ruth clung to Naomi. 
And Ruth says to Naomi, your God will be my God. And your people will be my people. And where you die one day, I will be buried there. That is how extreme that word is of I will cling to you. And Boaz goes and he says, in the same way that you feel that strongly about staying with Naomi, will you also cling to this land? It's a play on words. Number three, go after my reapers. Boaz's workers also love Yahweh. And they are also good godly men. And he has commanded them that they are to only reap the field up to a certain point. So she will be provided for as long as she stays in this field. And what you notice from the story is that the reapers are essentially the wingmen of Boaz. He says to them, just cut a little bit and almost throw it over your shoulder. Let's go pick it up. And it probably became a bit of a game in the harvest fields. Number four, my reapers will not harm you. Fairly straightforward. She is safe in the fields of Boaz. And finally, number five, they will serve her. Now, this part we think of in our culture is fairly normal. And if you were a Jew in this day and you heard what was going on here, you would be flat on your back. You would be going, what on earth is Boaz doing? How dare he? He crosses some significant boundaries culturally to make sure that he can, first of all, approach Ruth and speak to her. But to say that his young men will serve her, that is like out of this sort of world. Shouldn't be happening. And the best way I can show you this is if you look to Jesus in John chapter 4, he speaks to a lady at the well. And we're told that in that story, what happens is this lady comes at midday to get water for her family. All the other ladies would go in the morning when it was nice and cool, and they would get water for their families, which should tell us, first of all, in that culture, it was normal for the ladies to go to the well and to get water for their families. It's not happening on Boaz's farm, is it? He's commanding his young men. No, you do the hard work. You draw the, the water for yourselves and for the ladies. But then, even speaking to women was frowned upon in this culture. Look at John chapter 4, verse 27. As his disciples come back, it says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Makes a really interesting Bible study to go, what made the disciples marvel? On one hand, we have Jesus calming a storm by just saying, peace be still. And on the other hand, they see him speaking to a woman and they lose it. They marvel at this. And so you go and you have Boaz crossing cultural boundaries, speaking to this woman and not only speaking to her, but saying, my young men will also serve you. And later on, you're going to find that he also serves Ruth in the way that he passes around roast grain to her. He is crossing so many cultural boundaries to make sure that she is aware there is interest here and he does care for her. And this is why Ruth responds so strongly. You, you would expect that maybe she wouldn't fall to the ground and start saying, wow, why have you shown me favor? But it's because of these reasons. And that is why she, in verse 10, falls to the ground. What you're going to see is that Boaz is her redeemer, and we're going to learn more about that next week. But it is a very much the same sort of response that you and I have when we come face to face with our redeemer for the very first time. Think of that moment when you first learned that you are saved by the blood of Jesus, that you've been adopted into his family, and you will know that this is what happens to you and I. Verse 10, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me 
since I am a foreigner? Her response is, why? Why is it that you look at me and you show me such favor? And she has a few things that are counted against her. She's poor. She's a widowed woman. And what she seems to put in there is the main reason is, I'm a foreigner from Moab. And Boaz's response in all of this is not to look at her and say, well, you know, the grace and the favor of God, it's just unconditional. He doesn't say that. In verse 12, he says these words, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That is really important for us to get this morning. Why is she shown such favor by God? Because she's come to the right place. And we can't say it's a a teaching that is not very common in our day and age. What we want to hear is that God will just bless and show favor whatever decision we choose. But that is not what we see in the story. We instead see that Ruth would not be treated like this in Moab. But she chooses to come back. She says, your God will be my God. And all of a sudden, her whole life changes radically. It is comforting to Ruth, coming from a place where her spiritual landscape would have been, we need to try and out-sacrifice each other, just appease the Moab deities to make sure that they don't uh, kill another person, to all of a sudden coming and being absolutely hit with the love and the favor of God. Why? Just because she's coming to him. And that is the beauty of our God. She finds favor in God's eyes. She sums it up for us really well in verse 13. She says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And that is a beautiful summary of what it would be like for any one of you this morning, should you come to Jesus this morning. Asking yourself, why have I found such favor? and How will he deal with me? How will Jesus deal with sin in your life and your past and your history and all of those things? Number one, you will find great favor in the eyes of God. Number two, you will be greatly comforted by God. He's not looking to punish you. He's looking to draw you into family because he loves you. And number three, you will be spoken to kindly. You will not get the Lion of Judah. You will get the Lamb of God that was slain in your place because you are part of his family. You are not his enemy. And so we come to him and we believe in him. All of this just so happens to lead to their very first date. What happens is Boaz again crosses those boundaries, goes to Ruth and says, hey, you should come and have a meal with us. Again, he is throwing out all of the cultural norms and he says, come and eat with me. And what do they eat? Bread and wine, which is basically communion. Before they know how important this is, they are sharing communion with each other And then Boaz pulls out the roasted grain, the good stuff. Biblical concepts here. Guys, we need to learn from this. It says she ate until full. Okay? It's important. Make sure there's enough good food. Not these little appetizers. No, no, you make sure. Roast grain, whatever it takes. Eat until full. And then what she she does is she goes back into the fields and she gleans until that evening. And she walks away with one whole ether of barley. And maybe you, like me, as I was preparing the sermon, was like, wow, what on earth is an ether, <laughs> right? And so I looked at the little footnotes at the bottom of my, my Bible, and it says that one ether is three-fifths of a bushel 
thanks guys. Like, that's not helpful at all. I still don't know what it is. But just to put it into context for you, in this day and age, if you were a worker, like one of those workers in Boaz's field, you would have been paid half a kg to a full kg of either wheat or barley, and that would have been your payment, your wage. Well done. You have worked hard. She walks away with one ephah, which is 25 kgs of wheat or barley. And from this, we can know Ruth was a strong woman. Her, her hours of doing CrossFit paid off. And she took that 25 kg bag and put it over her shoulder. And she marched her load home to Naomi, who is also very surprised if you look in the story. She looks at Ruth and goes, where did you go? Whose field were you in? Blessed be that man. He has shown you such favor. He's taken notice of you. And at the story, it's all coming together because Naomi knows a few things that Ruth doesn't, like who Boaz is and what he's capable of. And Ruth knows a few things that Naomi doesn't, like whose field I've been in and how blessed I've been by being there. And so at this moment, probably with Naomi going, tell me, tell me, tell me, who is it? Ruth tells it in verse 19. She says, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And if you thought that Naomi was over the moon about 25 kilograms of wheat or barley coming through the door that night, you can only imagine the joy that there must have been there that night. As the lights flicker and she goes, ah, yes, <laughs> Boaz, the single, wealthy, lovely, godly guy, you happened to wander into his field today. Amazing. He is, in fact, a close redeemer of ours. Not the closest, but he is right up there. And there must have been a lot of joy, a lot of good conversations taking place that night. And then Ruth continued to go back to the fields of Boaz for the next two to three months until the harvest finished. Is that not the worst end to any sort of a romantic story ever? It's all heading in a certain direction. It's gaining traction. And we're like, yes, yes, yes. Go, get married, this will be amazing. And then it's like, and then she just kept on plucking grain <laughs> for two to three months. Who here was struggling to read between the lines? And what you know, and this is an important point for us to get today. Boaz has made it very apparent by crossing boundaries to make sure that Ruth is aware he is interested. He is wanting more than her to just be a servant in his field. It is entirely possible for you to find yourself in Ruth's boat this morning. And what that means is that you would come to church, you would hear God's word being preached, you would take this as great wisdom for life, and it would bless you, it would help you. But without having a covenant relationship with the Lord of the harvest, with Jesus Christ himself, it is worthless, my friend. And you can look at the story and we're going, like, come on, Ruth, go for it, go to Boaz. But she instead, for the next two to three months, just keeps on going back and getting wheat and barley. And Boaz in the story is not looking at Ruth going, I just really want a really good working functional relationship with the servant in the field. He is looking at her going, I would love to make this person my wife. I want a covenant relationship. Do not be like Ruth in this story at this point in time who is just satisfied with the gleanings from a field. God is wanting to give her so much more. And God wants to give you so much more. But it comes in covenant relationship with the Lord of the harvest, Jesus Christ. My third and final point for today, number three, Christ is the greater Boaz. 
we know that all of Scripture points towards Jesus. And as you've been listening to the story and you've seen the character of Boaz, you go, wow, this guy is generous, he's kind, he, he really is such a keeper. But you need to know that anything that you admire in Boaz or anybody else in Scripture is fully perfected in the person of Jesus. And so what that means is when we look at Boaz, we go, wow, you then need to take it one step forward and go, oh, I really like this because that is actually what I see in the person of Jesus. So let's look at a few of these things. First one, generosity and provision. You'll notice that Boaz, like Jesus, goes beyond the law. It doesn't mean he doesn't fulfill it. It means he fulfills it and then fulfill fulfills it. He, he takes it further. They were supposed to be hospitable and kind to foreigners. Nowhere in the law does it say, you know what you can also do is invite them around your table and give them bread and wine and roast grain until they are full. Doesn't say that. And in the same way, Jesus does not just come to us and go, I'm going to save you and then send you on your merry way. He says, I'm going to save you. But you know what the greatest blessing of your soul is? Living in relationship with me. And I'm not going to save you as a Christian out there. I'm going to save you as a son or a daughter. Your identity is radically changed when you come to know Jesus. He saves you. He is generous. And he will provide for you. In the same way that Ruth is provided with wheat probably for those next two or three months, and then with a lot more after that, Jesus provides himself for us. He is the living bread that we can feast on day in and day out, and our soul will be satisfied in him. Next, grace to the Gentiles. Again, we see that Boaz is very generous to one Gentile at this time. Boaz probably was a very generous man to any Gentile who would have wandered into his fields. But because he is just a man, he can only be generous to so many people. What Jesus does is he goes and he says, I'm not going to just have Israelites in my kingdom. I am going to open up salvation to every nation, tribe, and tongue in the world. And so all people, Gentiles, that's mostly you and me. There might be one or two Jewish people in our congregation, but most of us are Gentiles. And thank you to Jesus, we can actually come to him and receive salvation and know that we have eternal life. He is generous and gracious to the Gentiles. And next is protection and shelter. Boaz looks at Ruth and says, I can, I can keep you safe. My, my workers in my field will make sure that you are safe in my field. And that is great. That's wonderful. But Jesus can take it so much further. He can look at your soul and say, you know what the greatest peril of your soul is? It's not that you might suffer some harm down here physically by somebody. It's not that somebody might fleece you in business. The greatest peril of your soul is that you would die not knowing and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, if you put your faith in me, you will not go to hell. You will be completely, completely safe. He says in John chapter 10, uh, verse 28 to 29, uh, these words, but just before he says, if you are my sheep, you'll hear my voice. You'll come running to me. And then what happens? Verse 28 to 29. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. How strong do you think Satan is? He has got no chance. He cannot snatch a soul out of the Father's hand. He cannot snatch a soul out of Jesus' hand. And so if your faith and your trust is in Jesus, my friend, you are completely safe. To drive the point home, Paul goes and he says it a different way. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38 to 39, 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are completely safe if your faith and your trust is in Jesus. And finally is initiative and pursuit. You have to admire Boaz in the story. He would have had a lot of people just shaking their heads at him as he starts walking towards Ruth. And while he's having a conversation, they were probably asking a lot of questions. But he leaves his conversation with the foreman, walks across the field to go and have a conversation with Ruth. Jesus leaves heaven. He goes a lot further than Boaz does. He empties himself of all the worship and the praise that's going on in heaven with the hundred million angels, of all the comforts that he would have been able to enjoy there. And he takes on human flesh. He lives amongst utterly sinful people, though he is sinless. And he launches his rescue mission that goes way further than the rescue mission of Boaz. And he pursues, he initiates, and he will bring to completion every bit of work that he has put his, his hand to. And so as I wrap up this morning, I think you may find yourself in one of two main camps. And the first one is that maybe you are like Ruth in this story, where you have heard about God, and you have maybe come to church this morning going, well, I am actually a little bit interested to see what is this all about? And you can glean, and you can pull these, these, these grains. You can take some wheat and some barley, and, and that'll be great, but that won't be covenant relationship with the Lord of the harvest. My heart to you this morning is saying, do not miss the greatest opportunity that your soul has, and that is to be with Jesus, to live in relationship with Jesus. We were all looking at Ruth going, why are you like this? Go to Boaz. And I would look at you and say, please, go to Jesus. It will be the greatest, greatest decision that you make. But then, I think this might be most of us this morning, is... You see how Naomi has changed in Ruth chapter 2? How did she come into Ruth chapter 2? She was bitter. Call me Mara because I am bitter. Don't call me Naomi. That means pleasantness. And I am not pleasant at this point in time. And then we see a change in verse 20. She says, May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. God's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Her heart is radically changed in this moment. Why? Because she has seen the blessings of God in the life of Ruth. And what I want to encourage you to do is to be like Ruth in the fact that when God blesses you and he opens those doors and he comes through for you, be quick to be vocal in sharing those testimonies to glorify God. Because you might do exactly what you see in the story, which is you strengthen and build up the faith of people around you when you share testimonies of his goodness. Naomi came in going, I don't quite know if I can still keep on going on this road. And at the end of this chapter, she's going, blessed be the Lord. His kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. You can be used in that way as well. Let us pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your kindness towards us. I thank you that you lead and direct our steps without us even knowing it, the way that you led and directed Ruth's steps in the story. 
We want to thank you that your kindness is still extended to us today. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in the building who doesn't yet know you, they would not be like Ruth, just gleaning wheat and barley when you have got covenant relationship waiting for them. Pray that you would make them brave to come and have conversations with us afterwards and to, and to speak to you, Lord, pray to you, to ask you to reveal yourself to them. Lord, I pray that we would share great testimonies of all of your goodness towards us. Would you use us to build up each other's faith? Would you strengthen all of those who are here at your house today? We ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. As that is the end of our service, but if anybody would like prayer, or if you would like to come and chat to any of us, we'll be waiting here at the front. New people, remember there are cupcakes on offer over there at that table. If you want a cupcake and you're not new, find somebody who is new and take them to the table. And then there should be coffee waiting at the back there.